Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, and you're listening to the award-winning podcast, Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Please sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com for weekly updates about my podcasts, events, and more. Also, follow me on Instagram at zibbyowens and also at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. And finally, join my virtual book club called Zibby's Virtual Book Club, which meets every other Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time until 3 p.m. and features half an hour of book club discussion, followed by 30 minutes of Q&A with the author whose book we've just discussed. You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Today's episode has been sponsored by Faraday. Faraday is basically my favorite clothing store that exists. I thought I was finding this undiscovered gem in a tiny little mall in California and Palisades Village. Anyway, I went into Faraday one day and like freaked out and I've been following them ever since. Um, I love their clothes and so does my husband, Kyle. And you can enter code Zibby, Z-I-B-B-Y and get 25% off on their website, FaradayBrand.com. F-A-H-E-R-T-Y-B-R-A-N-D.com. I kind of hate to tell you all about Faraday because <laughs> I kind of liked being in the know and like having my own secret stash of clothes, but it's amazing and you will love them, especially their new cozy fall sweaters, which I've been wearing on Instagram and um, their pants, which have like the maternity band type thing up top and fit everybody. Uh, their shirt dresses, their shirt slash jackets for guys. Anyway, they're amazing. Enter code Zibby, get 25% off. I have done this now a couple of times and really have to stop. So anyway, please order. Cameron Douglas is the author of Long Way Home, a memoir of fame, family, and redemption. He and I did this talk together as part of the JCC Houston's book festival, and we had a really great time and even did like a pre-festival VIP talk. So by the time this part of the conversation rolled around, we had already been chatting for quite some time. In fact, we ended up chatting for almost two hours, which is longer than I feel like I've spoken to anyone recently. So this is an excerpt from that event. Cameron Douglas has a career in both film and now in writing. And you'll hear more about what he's up to in his book. In terms of filmography, he was in Mr. Nice Guy, It Runs in the Family, National Lampoon's Adam and Eve, Loaded, and The Runner. And now is working on screenplays and other works, having been incarcerated for almost a decade and having overcome a drug addiction that plagued his celebrity-strewn family, including Michael Douglas and Kirk Douglas. I hope you enjoy this interview. I had a really fun time getting to know Cameron. Hi, Cameron. Hi, Zibby. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We got a little preview beforehand, and all these people stole some of my questions, but I'll come up with some more. Because <laughs> you're a pro. <laughs> okay, Long Way Home, a memoir of fame, family, and redemption. You have been through so much in your life, and you're younger than me. It's like unbelievable. Why did you decide to put it all into a book? Why write a book about this at all? Well, so, I mean, the, the short answer, I'll give you the short answer first and then I'll elaborate a little bit. I think the, the short answer was to try to take, you know, some of these experiences that I've been through, some of them very painful, some of them lovely, and turn them into to something useful for, for people. So that's the short answer. To be a little more long-winded, I, at first... I didn't know it was, it was my father that was, was, was really pushing me to write this book. And I was confused about that, you know, as we talked about earlier, because uh, our family has always been very private. 
but it was it was it was helpful you know it was it was out of love that he was pushing me to write this book and and also out of the fact that you know he and the rest of my family felt that I had a story to tell and a story to share and at the expense of some of their privacy they felt that it was it was worthwhile and yeah it's 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 been an interesting journey it's been a long journey i started writing the book before i came home in you know 2015 2016 and and you know it took about four years to write all in all and and i i must say i learned a lot you know i learned a lot about myself which is important i think to have insights like that when you've paid such a high price for 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 your decisions and you you mentioned earlier that it was really your time in prison that allowed you to get in touch with your feelings and i wanted just to hear a little more about how that happened? Like, were you in prison one day and you asked for a notebook or how do you start writing? How did you start writing there? And how did you find the time and how much, in, how in control of your time even were you? So it, it started really when I was, I was doing my first fairly long stretch in solitary confinement. It was, doing, it was around 11 months and it was fairly early on in my sojourn through prison. I had a, I had a really difficult time adjusting my, my journey was, was very atypical. I started at a minimum security and I worked my way up to a <laughs> high security. And that's, that's not the way it's supposed to work. It's supposed to go the other way. But as I said, I, had, I, just, I really had a difficult time settling in. I was very angry at myself, which I think is understandable. And I, and I don't think I dealt with that very well. So as a result, I just made life even more difficult for myself. But, you know, I, I'd like to think that it was, you know, some of it was, was necessary. It's part of my journey. And, and from where I'm sitting today, I, you know, I, I probably wouldn't be here without a lot of those experiences. But so I was in solitary confinement. And obviously, you can imagine you're, you're in there 23 hours a day. Uh, seven, 23 hours a day, you get one hour three times a week. So, you know, most, most days you're in there 24, 24, seven. And then on the days that you do come out for that hour, usually they'll come get you at around 4.30 in the morning. And if you're on the East Coast, they take you outside to a little cage and it's just freezing out there. And so I opted to sleep, sleep in most of the time anyways. But I started journaling and, you know, it was just, I, I what I try to do is I try to set up a curriculum for myself, you know, to kind of keep my mind active. And it made me feel like I was taking some, some of my freedom back. But the curriculum was, was reading and I'd read, you know, three books. Uh, I'd have a sort of self-help type of book. Then I'd read like a literary classic, you know, something you might read in an English lit class in college. And then I'd read, uh, I'd have like a, a beach read, like Game of Thrones or something like that. So I had that. I had my exercise, meditation, and then and writing. And yeah, so I don't want to I don't want to speak for too long, but that's where it started. I love the idea of you sitting, I mean not love, but that comical vision of you in solitary confinement with a beach read. It's like so <laughs> against yeah. what you would think, but that's I mean that's great. The literature could provide you with that outlet as it does. That's like some of the power of of books to begin with and where better to escape than when you literally can't, so it, it it really is, and then and then I'll just I'll fully answer your question. So you have this book cart that comes around, you know, a couple times a week, and I got this book off the cart by this this great American classic author Stephen Crane, 
And he had this, this was this book of short stories called The Red Badge of Courage. And they're all fantastic stories. The Red Badge of Courage in particular really sort of spoke to me and kind of, you know, gave me something that I think was, was necessary for me at that time. And I was so taken by his writing that I, you know, I got in touch with my family. You get one phone call every three weeks. So I got on the phone and I, and I asked, I forget who, I said, look, find me some more books by this guy, Stephen Crane. And I didn't realize he was, he was a well-known poet as well. So what came in the mail was all these, these books of poetry. And I was like, what am I going to do with this? You know, I'm not really, you know, I've always <laughs> was fairly well educated, but I've never really connected with poetry. But I started, you know, reading them, as you can imagine, as you time my sweetheart. And I was just, for the first time, I really was taken by poetry and inspired by it. So I started playing around a little bit, and, uh, and that's kind of where, where it started. Wow. Nice to have the, the little one. I was warning you that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that this good stage was going to end. Anyway, mm-hmm. in your book, you talked in when you were younger about developing what your mom called the curly whirlies, where you would like spin your hair around and your anxiety was clearly manifesting itself from an early age. Do you feel like some of your later behaviors were your own way of coping with maybe an anxiety disorder that wasn't really treated or underlying things? Like, where do you think now that you're in a totally new place, you know, emotionally, where did that all come from? Where did, where did it, and what would you do to sort of prevent this trajectory from happening to say your daughter? Yeah, you know, I, I, I've always felt, uh, especially, you know, as, as a child and then as a teenager, I always, I always felt sort of uncomfortable in my own skin. And I would do everything I could to not let on to that, you know, and, and I think I learned at a fairly early age that, you know, you know by getting high or, or getting buzzed, you know, I could find that it would, it would allow me to feel comfortable, you know? And I think, you know, looking back on everything, you know, one thing that I, that I really had a chance to take advantage of, but I didn't, that I think would have been extremely helpful is, is therapy. You know, had I been a little more open and, and willing to talk to somebody as as a teenager, I think maybe you know it, it it would have been helpful. So that's something that I let anybody know. Anybody, I mean, I have you know I have uh, friends that have kids that are struggling. I have you know I you know I tell people that I care about you know to to, to give it a chance because it's a big part of my life today. It just took me so long. <laughs> it wasn't until you know until maybe six months before I was being released from prison, and I remember one day saying to myself. I think I'm ready to give therapy a chance when I get home. <laughs> you know? so, so I followed through on that and it was it's it's it is very it's been very helpful for me. I thought it was so funny that when you got out of prison, one of the things you realized you missed the most was going to the dentist. Who knew? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well. It, it, exactly. I mean, you know, I was I was pretty fortunate with my dental situation in prison, but it's it's funny. Um, my my partner, Vivian who I live with and who we have a daughter together. So we were just, I've known her for many years, but we were just kind of, she reached out to me. She wrote me a letter and I wrote her a letter back and we hadn't seen each other in, in many, many years. And so finally, when we got on the phone together and I had my visiting privileges suspended for a long time and finally I was getting them back. We've been talking for about a year and I was on the phone with her. I said, look, I just want to warn you, 
I only have three teeth left. You know what I mean? I said, so I don't, I feel a little self-conscious about it. You know what I mean? It's, it's just dead silence on the line for a second. And then I started laughing. And, and, uh, <laughs> but that's, you know, it's, it can be a bad place for, for your teeth. <laughs> you wrote throughout the book about so many different losses. And I don't feel like you necessarily framed them as such, but they just kept popping up in one way or another. Even your Manny, essentially, who I thought it was so funny that your dad had a busboy and was like, he seems like a good nanny. And the next thing you know, he like takes care of you intimately for years, which is one method of, you know, recruiting babysitters I have not tried yet, but now I'm going to open my mind to that. But even with him being like so close to you for so many years and then gets let go of and immediately disappears, like that's a big loss. And like you're even your pet ferret getting eaten by your dog. I mean, these are like heartbreaking things, particularly that t- at that age and time of life. And then of course, as life goes on and more things happen, what do you think those early losses, like, do you feel like they were as significant as I'm perhaps making them or less so, or I know you wrote about them a lot. So clearly you found them to have some importance. Well, you know, yeah, Joaquin is somebody that to this day, you know, I think about and, and, you know, sometimes I'll even think I see him, you know, but he, so he was a huge part of my life and, and that was, that was a, was a difficult loss. And yeah, I think, you know, kids are sensitive and, you know, in life, you know, things are going to happen. But, you know, when you're young, you need people to kind of help you through it. And if, and if, you know, they, they may not be available, and I think you, they, yeah, they do leave a little scar, you know, and, and you, you try to figure out a way to deal with it yourself and you don't maybe have all this sort of coping mechanisms at the time. But again, you know, listen, life is, I mean, that's what it is. You know, it's, it's full of, of, of loss and hardship and that's what builds character. And, you know, we have, we have the decision to, to make, choices as, as a result of these things that we go through and and some choices I think are, are, are better than others you know so just can't really blame it on Joaquin and my ferret but <laughs> I, although I would have liked to I think I told that to the judge right? well maybe we could talk about your family in case that played more of a role in some way you know you painted such a loving picture of your dad and your mom at times you you had kind of a like inconsistent or you painted her as somewhat inconsistent I would say in her availability and emotional availability physical presence all of that but you really made your dad seem like you know he wanted to compensate for having a famous father himself by being a great dad to you and making sure that you didn't feel the way he had felt. It's like this whole full circle thing and was really there for you and tried all these things when you did develop your drug addiction to help. But I wonder, looking back, what do you think he could have done or your mom could have done to have prevented your addiction from spiraling in the way that it did? Or was it just once it started, there was sort of no way to really reel it back in because you didn't really want it to stop? Yeah, I mean, you know, quite frankly, I got to a place in my life where there's there nothing that they that they could, could do. I, you know, it, it's interesting, you know, so with, with my father, you know, one of, one of his bones, you know, that he has with, with my mother, my mother was so young when she had me, 19 or, or 20. And my father's career was kind of just getting going. And, and it's a career that takes a lot of time, a lot of focus, a lot of attention. And so 
you know, my father, you know, often felt like, you know, he had two kids to take care of, you know, my mother and, and myself and, and my mother, you know, was so young and she, you know, she, she didn't like the business, you know, she's, she's European and, and sort of came to the States and met my father and, and didn't like the business and, and, you know, was, 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 was angry and lonely as well, you know, and so, and she was still extremely young herself. So they had a lot of things going on, but I, I, I was always, you know, loved and well cared for, but maybe just didn't have, you know, the attention that I was, that I was needing. So that kind of forced me to sort of look elsewhere, you know, for, for that love and attention. And I guess, you know, starting as a younger teenager, I started finding, finding that with, with a group of people that were, you know, sort of rough around the edges. And that's not to say they're bad people or anything like that. It's just, you know, people that were sort of going down that road that would eventually lead to some, some issues. And that's kind of, you know, and that's sort of what happened. You know, I remember at one point in my life, I was, <laughs> I was wondering to myself, you know, I can't believe if I'm not in prison, who are these people in prison? You know, I was wrapped up in all these different things, but I was, I just wasn't physically there yet. You know, I was well on my way and that's it. You know, if you're, if you're living that life and there's a place for you, if you continue to live that way. There were so many moments where you just should not have survived the car crash. Like there were just so many, the drug, the seizures, like it's like a miracle that we're even on a Zoom call right now. It's crazy. How, what do you attribute that to? And do you, do you feel like you have some sort of perspective on life having lived through all of this that like, that perhaps others of us can't have or don't necessarily have having sort of cheated death so many times? I definitely, you know, have, 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 have been fortunate. I have, you know, angels watching over me. I've certainly not been careful with my life and, and often not valued it properly. And maybe subconsciously there was, you know, there was some purpose behind that. But, you know, I, I guess that wasn't, you know, that wasn't to be, you know, my story. I wasn't going to be the way that my story was, was going to end, you know, whether I wanted it to or, or not. And so I, I, I sort of, I guess I like to think that I, you know, there's, there's something that I have to, to offer before it's all said and done. Well, obviously, one thing you have to offer is your story, which is going to help so many other people who are struggling. If you know, hopefully, they'll all be reading it and can get back on track or get what they need out of it. I mean, that's it's an amazing gift when somebody shares their story so openly like that. So that's that's awesome. You also talked about dealing with your dad's cancer diagnosis and treatment and how you felt about it. And I was just wondering if you could share a little about that period of time and what it was like for you. Yeah, that was, well, so for those of you that ha haven't re read my book, I, f I found out that he had cancer by one of the inmates that I was on the compound with. He came up to me and he said, hey, Cam, I'm so sorry to hear about your dad. I said, what are you talking about? I just, you know, I just saw him. He said, so what are you talking about? He said, I heard he has cancer. I said, no, I don't, I don't think so. And then I, you know, a couple more steps and then somebody else came up to me, you know, so. I went in and, and, and got on the payphone and tried to, to call him and he didn't answer. So I called uh, a friend of mine and the first thing she said, you know, when she picked up the phone was, you know, I'm so sorry to hear about your father. So, so I said, well, what's going on? What, what happened? And she told me that, you know, it came out in the press that he had 
stage four throat cancer. And so I sat with that for a little while and obviously, you know, tried to get in touch with him. And when I finally did, you know, he, he felt bad. He said, you know, that he didn't uh, want me to worry. But yeah, I'll tell you, it really gave me a, a real respect for what these cancer survivors go through because I saw him about three weeks before, you know, he started his treatments, as, which was the radiation and the chemotherapy. And, you know, he looked he looked great. He looked healthy, how, how he always does. And then he came to visit me about a month and a half after his last treatment. And it was just, it was maybe three months or something like that. And I've never seen a body change so drastically in such a short amount of time. So it's a, it's a real, it's a real fight, you know, and, but fortunately, you know, he made it because one of the extremely unfortunate things about going away for so long is that life goes on and and as a result you lose people and it happens a lot so you just you know you you hope that uh you know anyway i was hoping that i would make it home to to, to see him and, and i you know he he got better long before i came home so that was good wow so what is your relationship like now do you feel like with your family do you feel like you've repaired any of the of the sort of rifts that may have occurred over time? Do you just feel like this still enormous support? Like what it, what's it like now, and how has it been with the book as an entrant into the family as well? Well, you know, ironically enough, or oddly enough, you know, everybody was really behind the book, which was which was nice. You know, that's you know, obviously, uh, that's important to me. And so, so yeah, that 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 made it easier. But you know, in, in terms of you know, my relationship with my mother and father are fantastic. It's taken some time, uh, particularly with my father. It was, you know, so many years I had been living in, 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 a, in a certain way. And nobody knows that better than the people that are closest to you. So to be living like that for so many years and then to go away to a place like prison. And, and as I said, I spent most of my time in higher security prisons, which is a different reality in and of itself, you know, it's like, who, who is coming home? You know what I mean? And I think that was, you know, uh, everybody was kind of protecting themselves a little bit, or maybe even more than a little bit, but you know, it's just consistency, you know, and I, I, I did a lot of growing up while I was away. I wish I was able to do that, you know, before having to go to that length. But, you know, I mean, I feel like I made the most of it, you know, if, 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 if that can be possible in a situation like that. And so the consistency, you know, that I've shown since coming home and, you know, is, is everything. And we're in a great place. That's great. And yeah. tell me more about your current writing. You had mentioned that you are working on screenplays, that this book is being adapted. Tell me about all your exciting projects now. Yeah, well, it's it's nice. You know, things are, are really just kind of starting to come together. And it was, it was three years of kind of awkwardness and kind of trying to find my stride. But then, you know, it just takes a little bit of time and, and, you know, things start to come together. So, you know, the acting is something I jumped right into. And I just, I finished filming my first feature length film in, in years in January of this year. So the beginning of this year, and I just finally saw a cut of it, which is look good and it's being submitted to all the film festivals and stuff like that. So we'll see what happens with that. And then I've been writing a lot, you know, during, during this quarantine, 
And it's been, been really been trying to, I, I hate to say it's been great because I know it's been so hard and difficult for so many people, but I, I really, you know, I, as somebody that's procrastinated a lot in life and wasted a lot of time, uh, I went into this quarantine with a mindset like, you know, I have these projects that I really want to accomplish and I, and I feel like I did so. So I finished my first screenplay just a couple of weeks ago and, and now I'm just kind of refining it a little bit or it's too long. That's, a, I think, a good problem to have, at least initially. <laughs> And then the, the book, Long Way Home, people have been interested in it. And, and, you know, I teamed up with a production company called Fabrique and this amazing writer showrunner named Tom Fontana. And he's adapting it into an ongoing series, which is, which is, uh, it's been, it's been exciting for me. It's been great to work with these, with these guys in particular, Tom, he's a great writer. And it's nice because it's, it's a, fictionalized version of my story so it's just based on my story but all the characters in it will be fictionalized and and of course to to make it an ongoing series you need some some wiggle room it's been exciting it's been very exciting you have a chapter orange isn't the new black so this is going to be like the the counter (laughs) you know show to that one or a companion piece in a way Yeah, it's it's it looks like it's going to be interesting. So I'm excited to see what comes of that. And how has it been? This is a big question, but what has it been like being a dad? How does it feel to have a daughter and to have a whole new perspective on life as a parent? What's that been like for you? It's been interesting in regards to my own mother and father. It's been it's been nice for them, I think in particular because it's sort of balanced the playing field a little bit. You know, it's given me some insights into, you know, what they were dealing with and, you know, what, what, what a parent deals with. But, you know, my daughter has, is, is, is my biggest teacher. You know, she really is. I've learned so much about myself and, and really grown as a human being since she's graced us with, with her presence. So it's pretty special, as you know. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. So what advice would you have to aspiring authors, somebody who wants to write their story, maybe it's not quite as dramatic as yours, but wants to get it down, wants it to help other people, what would you say? Well, nothing happens until you put the pen to paper, you know, or until you start, you know, banging away on, on the keyboard. So, you know, I think that's that, that's the first thing with, with anything, you know, and even like with a screenplay, you know, it's just been thinking about it for so long and kind of you know, screenplays is an art in and of itself. And so, you know, it was, you know, let's say a little intimidated by it, but, you know, it was just like, you know, starting to, to, to buy final draft, you know what I mean? To write the screenplay and just start, start figuring it out and, and banging away and it comes, you know, and I think, you know, I don't think one writes with, with the intention of, you know, making some, you know, some big bestseller or, you know, I mean, I, I guess that's great if that happens, but, you know, you just, you just write, you know, because you have something inside of you that, that you know, that you, that you want to share that needs to come out, but, but you, you got to get started. So I think that's, I think if you get started and it's something that's for you, then you'll see that you'll go from there. Or if you get started and you're like, no, this is not for me. Then, then you can move on to the next project. Yeah. <laughs> Screenwriting's not for me. Next. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, I, I also was wondering, are you still friends in the book? You mentioned there is a boy named John you were friends with and you filmed a movie together and your dad 
started to help. And he was like, well, this production value has gone up a lot. Are you still friends with that guy? I am. You yeah, are. He's, That's awesome. Yeah, he's one, he's one of my oldest friends. He's, he's actually a very successful producer now in his own right here in town. And he's, yeah, he's doing fantastic. He just had a little boy and he's married and lives about 15 minutes away from me. So we, we snuck a couple visits in during quarantine, but, you know, really... It's, you know, just kind of been keeping to ourselves like most people, but looking forward to, to, to seeing my friends and everything. But yeah, we, him and I have, have also, you know, been through a lot. We have a lot of funny stories together. Oh, that's great. Well, thanks for doing this. Thanks for doing this for the JCC. And thanks for letting us seriously like into your home and the chaos that is having a <laughs> child, yeah. <laughs> which I am I very familiar with. So <laughs> we, we made it. We did pretty good. You know, I thought it was going to sort of fall apart earlier, but we did pretty good. So. No, no, it was great. great thank to- you. Thank you. It was, I had a lot of fun with you, Zibby. And I look forward to, you know, seeing you somewhere down the road or staying in touch. Yeah, um, and, and thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. It's been really, really a lot of fun with you guys tonight. Thanks so much to Faraday Brand for being my sponsor this week. FaradayBrand.com. Enter code Zibby for 25% off. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Music.